Good morning and welcome. Peter tells us that once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. These things are all because of Jesus and what he has done for us. And today, let's proclaim his excellencies together as a congregation. Let's make a joyful noise, sing loud, sing together as a body of Christ. Let's stand and do that today.
seated. Let's pray together a prayer of confession. We'll see the words on the screen. We'll pray aloud together. Most merciful God, we confess that we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. A little personal story from me. I've been using the book New Morning Mercies by Paul Tripp in my personal time with God. And a few weeks ago, he was reviewing the story of the boy with a demon who was throwing him into a fire and seizing him and trying to destroy him. Jesus rescues the boy and heals him completely. And the devotional speaks powerfully to me when it says this. He says, these stories are meant to assure you that delivering grace is a reality. No matter how great the sinfulness of sin is, God's grace is greater. And no matter how powerful the evil of evil is, God's delivering power in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is greater. And that was such an encouragement to me. We continue with our worship by declaring that that same Savior who saved that boy, he saves us. And he's ours forever. The next song, the lyrics are a beautiful poem. And they're about the all-sufficiency of Christ to save us and do so much more. It says, he walks with us through all our numbered days. He picks us up when we fall. He wipes away our tears. And he arms us for every, for every battle. He fills us with hope with peace and with strength, so that in any circumstance and every circumstance in life that we face this week or next week or next year, that we can confidently say, together as a body and individually, Christ is mine forevermore. And additionally, the final refrain invites us to rejoice in him alone because fear is gone and hope is sure. Those are good words for us to sing in these days. Amen? Let's stand.
encourage you to find somebody that you don't know and share your name and how long you've been going to the church, and then you may be seated. familia I think that you guys enjoy that a little bit way too much as we continue with an attitude of worship I'm going to invite the ushers to please come to the front and as they come to the front I I want to remind you that part of the reason why we do this is because we believe that everything the Lord has given us is a gift and it ought to be used for his purposes and his glory so if you're visiting for the first time Please do not feel obligated in participating in this part of our worship service. This service is our gift to you. You may pass the plates as we pass the plates. Also, I want to remind you that there's always three different ways in which you could uh, support the church financially. You could give your offerings and put it on the plate every Sunday when we pass them. You could go to wheatonbible.org slash give. Or if you're worshiping with us online, you could always send your offerings to the offices of the church. Amen. Now, as we continue to uh, collect our offering, I just wanted to give you a quick update. One of the things that we started doing this year is giving you a quarterly update of where we are financially as a church. And the main reason why we want to do that is so when we get to the end of the year, we don't struggle the same way we have been struggling in the history of our church. All right? So... Uh, First of all, we are super grateful for all the people that sustain the church in prayer and financially. So if that is you, I want to thank you for your support, your commitment to this church. Um, so if you remember the first quarter of the year when we gave the update, uh, we said that uh, we didn't start very strong. Uh, but the second quarter got a little bit better. Uh, when we started our second quarter, we were a bit, about 10% behind of, of our budget. Um, so I'm going to ask you to please continue to pray and support the church financially. There's one thing, though, to celebrate. One of the things that we look at when we are looking into the offerings of the church is the, the amount of new givers that are joining the church, people that are committing to give to the church at least for the first time. Um, and I'm happy to inform that in, the, in our last quarter, 93 new people started supporting in the church financially, and we should give glory to God for that. That being said, that doesn't mean that, uh, that we are we already out of, the, out of the dark waters, if you will. Uh, so I'm going to ask you to please continue to pray. Please continue to give. Let's see what the Lord does in us and through us. Amen? Let's pray. My beautiful Savior, you have made of us a generous church. And yet, we want to give not just generously, but sacrificially. And Lord, I know that um, our relationship with money is complicated. I know, Lord, that whether we admit it or not, many of us, maybe all of us, struggle to a certain degree with the love of money. There may be some here, Lord, that already don't... 
the day stopped us struggling with that, and we are grateful for that. But at the same time, Lord, uh, there is a reason why the Bible talks so much about money. And that leads me to believe, Lord, that the reason why you talk so much about money in your word is because money continues to be a struggle. So as we open up a scripture this morning, I'm asking you not only to bless the offering that we just gave, but to bless the preaching of your word. Because at the end of the day, the only thing that has the power to transform us and to make us into the people that you called us to be is the power of your word. So I, I pray for the presence and the ministry and the person of the Holy Spirit, the one that takes these words written in this book and make them alive in our minds, in our hearts, to the point that it influences our will. So please be with us. And we pray for all this in the name of Jesus. And the church says? All right, so if you were here last week, you probably remember that, we that we're taking a pause on our series in the Gospel of Matthew. And we're doing a two-part series called Extravagant. And what I explained last week, if you were here, is that the word extravagant to me uh, is a good word to describe what it means to be a believer. Because uh, the extravagant has a negative meaning and, and a positive meaning. But in the positive end, is someone that is willing, willing to give it all and sacrifice it all and surrender all for that which that person finds beautiful and valuable and important. And my argument is that as Christians... We can say that we already found the thing that is the most important thing, if you will, the things that has more value than anything else, the thing that is more beautiful and perfect than anything else, and that will be God, his church, and his purposes. The believer can become an extravagant or needs to become an extravagant because we had found something that is more valuable to anything else, more important than anything else, more beautiful than anything else, and is God, his church, and his purposes. And last week we talked about us being extravagant with our gifts. And we said that everyone has a gift, remember? And that we belong to one another and we need to use our gift and receive the gift that all people have. And today... We're going to talk about uh, being extravagant with our money, generosity. All right, just by show of hands, how many of you guys enjoy every time we talk about money? Raise your hand really quick. It's only like three of you guys. <laughs> and I want to make the argument that there's a reason why this topic makes us uncomfortable. You know what's interesting, though? It has never made me uncomfortable. Not so much because I graduated from this topic already, or I'm an expert in this topic, but because I really believe that generosity is one of those things that we must practice for the sake of our souls. So today we're going to talk about this, and we're going to talk about three things. The love of money, the relationship with money, and the redirection of money. The love of money, the relationship with money, and the re uh, redirection of money. And for that, we're going to use a passage or a section of the scripture that is usually not used to talk about this, and it's the book of Proverbs. So I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be reading uh, a few verses from Proverbs 11 and two verses from Proverbs 18. If you're still here with me, could you please say, I'm here. I'm here. Proverbs 11 is starting in verse 1, and I'm going to be jumping uh, from verse to verse. The Lord detests dishonest scales... 
but accurate ways find favor with him. When pride comes, verse 2, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Verse 4. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Verse 10. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Verse 24. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper, uh, will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Verse 26. People curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessings and the one who is willing to sell. Verse 28. Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Now we're going to go to Proverbs chapter 18. Two verses. Verses 10 and 11. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. This is the word of the Lord. You may take a seat. Let's go with point number one, the love of money. I find it super interesting that when, when you look at all the 2,000 verses that you find in the scripture um, that talk about money, I'm yet to find a verse that says that there's something intrinsically wrong with money. I'm yet to find a verse that says that there's something intrinsically wrong with having money. And I'm yet to find a verse that says that there's something intrinsically wrong with Using money. The Bible never, ever, ever says that there's problems with money per se. What the Bible is going to say is when we love money that this becomes a problem. Is when we want too much money, when we trust too much in the power of money, and when we rely too much in what we have in money. That's the problem. This is interesting because Paul was the, was the one that used the phrase, the love of money, in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And what I find uh, super interesting this week, as I'm studying the text, um, that the word love in the original is the same, the root of that word is the same word that we use in the New Testament to talk about a friend. And I think that Paul is being intentional there to say that the problem with the love of money comes because we have this weird relationship with money. In which we could almost consider money to be a close friend. So our problem with the love of money is not just money. It's our relationship with it. And what Timothy says is that the root of that love of money is the, is the root for all kinds of evils. All kinds of problems. All kinds of struggles. It leads to all kinds of problems, struggles, and evil. And that's precisely what Proverbs 11 talks about. Now, I'm, I'm, um, this is the premise for me. I'm starting from the point, or from the premise, 
that we all struggle with the love of money somehow. And my job, like a good preacher, I hope, is to convince you that you do have a problem. Now, that might not be true for all, but what I want you to do as you hear the sermon is you got to ask the question, is my relationship with money where it's supposed to be? Once again, the problem is not money. It's a relationship with it. And what the book of Proverbs is going to say, it's going to give us, at least in Proverbs 11, three evils, three problems, three struggles that come from the love of money. Struggle number one, the love of money gives us a toxic view of ourselves. The love of money gives us a toxic view of ourselves. We find that in verse 1. Look at what it says in verse 2. The Lord detests dishonest scales. Verse 2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. This is super interesting. The word that is found in verse 1, the word detest, uh, if, you, if you ever read the King James Version, the word that is used there is abomination. And this is super interesting. That word in the original is the same word where we, that we will use to describe idolatry. So if you want to understand why is it that the Lord detests dishonesty, it's because the, uh, dishonesty is the fruit of our idolatry. And what will be the idolatry? Well, the love of money. So let me explain it this way. Why is it that the Lord is so much bothered by someone that is dishonest with scales? So let's say if you've ever been in another part of the world, when you go to one of those stores, where, 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 uh, whenever you buy some sort of grains, you need a scale. And the way they, 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 they give you the price is on one end of the scales, you put the product, let's say rice, and on the other end, you, you wait on it, right? And what the, the image here we have is this, this person that goes to the store, buys rice, but the owner of the store, instead of uh, having the scale where it's supposed to be, adds weight to the, to the end of the rice to pretend or to at least make the person believe that they're buying more rice than what they're actually buying. And if that's the case, then they get to charge more money. You know what that's called? Stealing. <laughs> right? I'm offering you a product, and you don't, you don't have as much as you think you have, and there I'm going to charge you like if I give you a lot. That's stealing. Now, this is what the book of Proverbs says. That a person that is bound to the love of money would always be tempted to compromise character, values, and holiness for the love of money. That the love of money is so dangerous that we treat money as a God. And the temptation will be to compromise integrity to get money. Now, this is super interesting. Verse 2 says that the reason why we do or we could do that is because of pride. And you would say, well, how, what is the relationship with, between pride and being dishonest? This is the thing. The proud person is the one that thinks that everything is about me. The proud person is the one that thinks that I'm better than everybody else. The proud person thinks that I should do anything we want to get my way, including being dishonest. This is why I say that the love of money is toxic. It's a toxic view of ourselves. Listen up, church. If money is not in the right place, there would always be a temptation to compromise convictions 
and to think that if we have money, we are better than everyone else. Isn't that true? Isn't that true that when we have more, there's always a temptation to look as less those who have less? This is why the love of money cannot be separated from pride. Actually, if you think about it, the love of money and pride is a weapon of self-destruction. And I get that from verses 2 and 3. Look at what it says. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. Verse 3, the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Verse 24, another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. And this is what the text is saying. The love of money at the end brings shame. That's the word disgrace. The love of money at the end of the day ruins us emotionally and spiritually. That is the word duplicity. And the love of money at the end is never satisfied. That's what it brings to poverty. The love of money is dangerous, church. It gives us this toxic view of ourselves, thinking that we're better because we have it. It is a weapon of self-destruction. And it has the power to corrupt our character. It has the power to corrupt our character. That's reason number one. There's two more. Reason number two. The love of money is dangerous because it gives us a false sense of security. And I'm sure that at least 90% of the group struggles with this. Look at what it says in verse 4. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath. See, the day of wrath is a really interesting term in the book of Proverbs because he's not talking about like judgment day. The day of wrath in the book of Proverbs means a day of crisis and difficulty and disaster. If I were to put a different term, it's a really, 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 really bad day. And look at what the proverb says. Money is worthless. Money is worthless in the midst of struggle. Let me put it this way. Money cannot fix anxiety and depression. Money cannot fix betrayal and dissolution. Money cannot fix pain and hurt. Money cannot fix loneliness and cannot buy real friends. Money cannot bring back the person we lost and cannot replace a person we lost. Money cannot be by happiness, peace, and joy, contrary to public opinion. Money is worthless. Can you say worthless? worthless. Money is worthless in the day of struggle, in the day of problems, in the day of trouble. Worthless. If that is true then it is foolish to think that we are secure because we have money. It is foolish to be obsessed with, the, with your investment. It is foolish to be obsessed with your bank account. And I'm not the one saying that. That's what the book of Proverbs says. Look at what it says in chapter 11, verse 28. Those who trust in their riches will fall. Chapter 18, verse 11. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. I love that image in, in chapter 18. 
Because he talks about this false security that people could have with money. So if you know the context, back in those days, they would build the city, and to protect the city, they would build this wall around the city to protect it and provide security. And the higher the wall was, the more secure people felt. But notice what the text says, that if we trust money, if we put our hope in money, if our security is money, it's like us imagining that he has the power to protect us the same way a wall protects a city. Is the product of our imagination. Money is worthless in a really, really, really bad day. Can you see why money, the love of money is dangerous? Not money. The love of money is dangerous because it gives you a false sense of security. That's number two. There's another reason why Proverbs 11 says that this is a problem. Because the love, the love of money creates in you or gives you this egocentric view of the purpose of money. Now, I've said this time and time again, and I will repeat it until the Lord takes me home. My sin, your sin, never comes in isolation. Whatever I do in secret affects my relationship with God, affects my wife, affects my girls, affects the church. My sin never comes in isolation, even if you don't know what my sin is. If that is true, then, my relationship with money and the love of money also affects others. And this is the reason why uh, verse 10 says this, that when the wicked perish, and he's talking about someone that is cheating, stealing, or has, is intoxicated by the love of money, there are shouts of joy. And look at what it says in verse 26. People curse the one who hoards grain. Don't you find that interesting? The community sees someone that struggles with the love of money. And if that person perish, everyone is like, I'm glad. That's awful. But you have to understand the text. It's because there's nothing worse for community. There's nothing worse for society than greedy people. Don't you think that is true? All you have to do is visit Central America, South America, and Europe. Not Europe, Asia. And you will see what greed does to an entire country. I was recently on vacation with my family. We were driving, we were in Mexico, and we, I, was, I was having a conversation with the Uber driver. And, um, and this guy is saying, Mexico is a land of, is full of resources. And that is true. They have everything they need, and yet, the poverty levels in Mexico are up here. Why is that? Everyone knows. Because of corruption in government. Greed. Can you see when someone hoards as much as they can, the city goes, oh, man, I hope they pass away. That's the danger of the love of money. It turns people into selfish and indifferent people. All right. How many of you guys feel guilty already? Don't raise your hand. But 
that is the bad part of the text. And part of the reason why I wanted to bring this text is because I want you to see that the love of money is not just one thing that we talk about. It is really, really, really dangerous. Thanks God, though, we don't have to be bound to that. Because there's a different view, a different relationship with money that Christians ought to have, which is point number two. And this is what is going to get a little bit more um, encouraging, I hope. So look at what it says. Um, I don't know if you noticed this, but there is one word that appears three times in the text. Three times. is the word that is repeated the most, which is the word righteous. It appears in verse 4. It says righteousness delivers from death. It appears in verse 10, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. And it appears in verse 28, when the righteous will thrive, uh, will thrive like a green leaf. Now, I have to give a little bit of an explanation what the word righteous means in the, in the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs, the word righteous could be, um, is presented as someone that has a godly character and is honest and is a person of integrity and is a person that is loyal. That's the whole definition, and there's more, I'll give you one, uh, one more in a second. That is the whole definition of the word righteous in the book of Proverbs. What I want to show you, though, is that Proverbs 11 and Proverbs 18 says that the, that the righteous not only is that kind of person, but views money differently and has a different relationship with money than the one with the love of money. So if there was three issues with the love of money, I'm going to give you three benefits or blessings of generosity. Listen up. Number one, if the one who struggles with the love of money de develops a, a toxic view of self, the righteous, on the other hand, has a proper view of self. So if, if on one end the person struggles with pride, the righteous on the other hand is a person of humility. That's why verse 2 says, but with humility comes wisdom. And look at what it says immediately in verse 3. The integrity of the upright guides them. If they struggle with pride is that we use money to elevate ourselves or think that we're better, the humble knows that there's nothing to brag about. That everything we are and everything we have is a gift of, from God, including money. You know, every now and then I hear a person, when we talk about this, say, well, that's not true. I work for my money. Yes, you did. Because God gave you the ability to work. You know that if you, were, if you had a physical disability, you wouldn't be able to say that. So mama might say, well, that's not true. I work hard here in this part of the world. And I would say, it doesn't matter how hard you work. If you were in another part of the world, it didn't matter how much you work. You wouldn't have the money you have today. See, the humble knows that everything we are and everything we have is a gift from God. No need to brag about who you are. No need to use money to brag about who you are. No need to allow money to, uh, to elevate who you are. Actually, what the text is saying is that the, hum the humble is the person of integrity. Is not willing to compromise character to get more money or what money can buy. Can you see the difference? Let me give you another one. 
if the one that struggles with the love of money has a false sense of security, the righteous has a real sense of security. Church, and this is where I'm going to get super personal, okay? Because if there's one thing that I've learned about living in this part of the world and living in a society that has so much, in a country that has so much, and in a church that has so much, is that it's so easy to forget who is the ultimate security. Look at what it says in verse 4. Wealth is worthless on the day of wrath, but, the, but righteousness delivers from death. Keep that in mind. Verse 28. Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. A couple of things that I want you to see there. It doesn't matter if, you're weak, if you are wicked or if you are a bad person, evil person, or if you're righteous. The day of trouble hits everyone. Death is for everyone. So contrary to the, gospel, the prosperity gospel, if you behave well and you give a lot, that does not guarantee that you're not going to struggle. The day of wrath will get to you. The difference, though, between a greedy person and a godly person is what you do with your suffering. The difference between a greedy person and a godly person is who is the ultimate security. So look at what the righteous does in the midst of a struggle or a mid-struggle in verse 10, chapter 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. This is the difference, church. If you have little or you have a lot, if you think that you could find security with your money, you are loving money much more than what you think you are. But the righteous, even in the, but the righteous in the midst of struggle, knows that there's only one place to run, which is God, our fortified tower, the one that keeps us safe. So I want to do a little bit of practical theology here. If that is true, how do, how, how do we apply this in our own lives? And I want to make the argument, church, that part of the reason why we struggle with the love of money it's not just because we love money, but because we, lack, we don't trust God as much as we say we do. See, think about this. At the end of the day, the problem with the love of money is trust. What is it that you trust the most? Do you trust what you have in your bank account? Do you trust your savings? Do you trust your investments? Or do you trust God? Nothing wrong with you having your money, by the way. Nothing with you keeping money. Nothing wrong with saving for the future. Nothing wrong with any of that. The problem is trust. If you cannot trust God, then you love money more than what you think you do. This is why generosity, then, is the solution 
to learn to, uh, to stop trusting money so much. And it's the solution for us to trust God more. I'm going to give you an illustration, and this is going to make sense completely, I hope. You guys remember when the Lord delivered the Israelites from Egypt? And they're walking, and they're walking in, the, in, the, in the desert for 40 years. Remember that? You guys remember what happens when they were hungry? The Lord sent manna. And you remember that interaction and how that went? This was the principle. Every day, you will get up in the morning, and manna, which was kind of a powder that they would use to, to make dough and they make bread. Every morning, you will get up, and you will find dough over there, of, you know, manna over there, and collect it. Super interesting, though, that every day the Lord said the same thing. Only collect what you need for that day and for the amount of people that you have in your family. So if you had two family members, that's all you collected for. You don't collect two family members like if you had ten. You know why? Because that's being greedy. And yet the Israelites that are very much like the modern-day Christians, they will collect more just for a rainy day. You guys remember what would happen with that manna? It would go bad. And you would say, that's harsh. It's just a little bit of manna. But this is what God was teaching the Israelites. That at the end of the day, I am your provider. And that you must trust me that every day I'm going to give you what you need. You must trust me. I am your provider. I am the God of provision. Yes, save your money, keep your money, invest your money. But at the end of the day, God is the ultimate provider of your security. Not money. Not your investment. Not your savings. That's why generosity, church, is extremely important. Listen up. That's why sacrificial giving is extremely important. And I'm being super intentional here about making a distinction between giving and sacrificial giving. See, many of us could give and give a lot. But that doesn't mean that that's sacrificial. You could have a person that gives $5, and that's a sacrifice. Because he has to trust the Lord with those $5. And you could give $5 million and not trust the Lord. Because it's not sacrificial. So this is the principle for us as Christians. We give until we have to trust the Lord. We give until we have to learn to trust the Lord. Once again, have your money, buy your things, invest, and save. Nothing wrong with that. But don't put your trust and your security in those things. If there is something we can learn from a pandemic, is that today we have and tomorrow we don't. If there's something we can learn from our recession, is that today we have and tomorrow we don't. What a foolish thing it is to trust in what money can give us. 
Amen? Depressed yet? Good, because there's one more. If the greedy person struggles with the love of money and thinks that money is for egocentric purposes, the righteous knows that the reason why the Lord gives money is for his purposes. Look at what it says in verse 10. When the righteous prosper, the, re the city rejoices. Verse 25, a generous a person refreshes others. And this is where I got to expand the definition of the word righteous. Bruce Walkie, which is the scholar of the book of Proverbs, he says that the, that the word righteous in the, in the book of Proverbs um, is the opposite of a wicked person. So if the wicked person is willing to disadvantage others for the sake of him or herself, the righteous is someone that is willing to disadvantage him or herself for the sake of others. And actually, when you look at the word righteous in the text, in verse 10, it could also be translated as the word just. And I'm borrowing this from Dr. Amy Sherman. This is what she says. The word righteous cares about three things in the book of Proverbs. It cares about rescuing, it cares about equity, and it cares about restoration. You know what's important? Because as Christians, if we are righteous people, we know that our money is not just our money. We know that our money has been given to God to help restore, to help cure, to bring transformation to this creation. The best investment you can make with money is to put it to work for the purposes of the kingdom. This is why the text says that when the, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. Don't you find that amazing? Here you have a believer Let's say that has a lot of money, but he's not greedy. Everybody else in the community knows that he's going to use that gift for the purposes of the community. This is, why, this is the reason why Christians ought to care for the poor and the vulnerable. Because the Lord has given us so we can alleviate their pain. This is the reason why Christians support organizations that are bringing light and salt into this world. Because we care about those things. And this is the reason, and I'm going to speak like a pastor. You ought to support the church financially. Because the church is the instrument of God to bring restoration to this creation. It is Christians living the gospel out there that brings restoration and transformation to this creation. Like Lon used to say, Pastor Lon used to say, God so loved the church that he sent his son to die for sinners, and then he left the church here. From that perspective, your commitment to WBC, your local church, financially, must be there. We are not a social club. We're not just a place where we hang around together and fulfill our dreams. Our church was placed by God in this here, in this location, for His glory and His purposes. And when we support the church financially, we are saying our money is to contribute to what the Lord is doing in us and through us. Money has a much bigger purpose than just 
buying choice, buying security, buying things. The money of the believer is for something much bigger, much better, much more beautiful, and so radically different than anything else. Why wouldn't we become generous people? Best investment in the world. Divine investment. Divine investment. Amen? Now, talking about generosity and make you feel guilty at the beginning and all of that stuff. For some of you will be like, yeah, maybe I should think about what, how I view my money. And you know what? You may think, I'm going to start being generous. And you're actually going to go home, some of you, I hope, I'm praying. And you look at your finances and says, man, I really need to adjust this thing. I, I probably have to start giving sacrificially. I want to trust the Lord more. I want to do this investment for the purposes of God and the glory of God. And you're going to do that stuff. And, and that might work for a week or two. Because when something breaks down at home, that desire is going to go away. So how is it that we do it then? To actually change and become generous people. Point number three, the redirection of money. What I mean by this is to redirect on how you view money, you need more than just good intentions. You need more than just inspiration. You need a new heart because you understand that money and your relationship with money is an evidence of your relationship with God. But I don't want to talk to you guys about that. I'm going to let Larry Robinson, a member of our church, talk to you about that. So please pay attention to this video. Every lesson that he gives me to share with someone else is a lesson for me first. We give, but sometimes it's easy in the process to set in your budget specific amounts. I approached one year a little bit differently and decided that I would vary the amount that I gave an offering. And I did it at a time that we were in the midst of retirement planning, but I wound up frequently giving more than I had given before because I wanted it to be reflective of the relationship rather than reflective of my thoughts on budget constraint. Interesting thing happened was God blessed us financially that year greater than he'd ever blessed us before. So it expanded my thinking about it. The assumption would be that, that you're just kind of getting worried about the, the quantity. But God wants gifts from people who want to give, not simply from people who think they have to give. So here's a life example. My oldest son had moved away from home, and he was a young adult. And one day, he and I are talking, and he said, I found a, a new woman that I'm dating. But then he shows more and he says, so she's from Belize. And I researched the National Flower of Belize. 
said, and I had a single stem black lily sent to her office. That was in December. And so in February, we were having another conversation. And I said, oh, uh, hey, Valentine's Day is coming up. Uh, what you gonna do? Because I expected some very creative, exciting thing. And he said, oh, I don't know if I'm gonna do anything. And I said, oh, well, what's up, what's changed? He's like, oh, nothing, nothing, no, no, everything's, no, everything's the same. <laughs> and so I said, uh, no, everything's not the same. I said, you need to take this moment and examine why you're feeling, how are you feeling? I said, because a few weeks ago, there was this unabashed expression of creativity and desire to please and excite this person. And now on the day that she actually will be expecting a gift, there's a part of you that doesn't know that it wants to give anything at all. Since it doesn't matter if you change your mind and come away and give some gift to her that actually blows her mind, the fact that you're feeling this right now should tell you something about what you really feel about the relationship. My son is now married and has four children, um, but that is not the woman he chose to marry. I have found that our response to the opportunity to give presents to us a, a mirror that reflects back to us and those around us who are close enough to see aspects of our true feelings Surprisingly, sometimes we're not honest with ourselves about how we really feel. And the interesting thing, the reason why I say a mirror, is because even though it may reveal new information to us, it doesn't reveal new information to God because he already knows. And so he's actually given us an opportunity to see what he sees. And, and so we see glimpses in scripture of when people give, they actually is reflected both to them and to us aspects of how they really feel. Let's go to Malachi 3. What isn't talked about frequently when the scripture is read is the context of the scripture. In the verses preceding, uh, what God says is that he's speaking about his disappointment in his relationships with Israel and how they're forefathers had repeatedly turned away from him and he says return to me and I'll return to you and then the scripture says and you ask how can we return and then he talks about giving uh, his heart's desire was how do we heal the relationship and he simply uses giving as a path to the destination. Not the end, not the goal, a way to walk there. And so uh, I see what we call offertory giving is simply just a path um, toward uh, the expression of that relationship. In every love relationship, every husband and every wife wants their spouse to give themselves fully. God wants to listen. So I don't want you to think about giving as a way to restore your relationship with God. 
because if you are Christian, that relationship is already restored. And if you heard what Larry said at the end was this, because you have been already restored, the most natural reaction is to want to give to the person that you love. See, for us as Christians, the reasons why we give generously is because we have a generous God. And sacrificially, because we have a God that gave it all. Isn't that the reason why Jesus went to the cross? Let's pray. My beautiful Savior, we are grateful that uh, we get to talk about complicated things every now and then. Lord, and uh, by the power of the Spirit, we are free to recognize that we all, to a certain degree, struggle with the love of money. Maybe not so much because we want to keep it, but because we trust it way too much. I pray, Lord, that as we think and meditate on this, Lord, you please help us see that we, not, we have no reason why to elevate ourselves because we have been already elevated in Jesus Christ. That we have no reason why to trust money because you are our ultimate security. The Bible says, Lord, that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Lord, and at the same time, you have given us a different reason, understanding, and view on the purpose of money. We use money for the glory of your name and to contribute to what you are doing in this creation. To please make of us generous people. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus and the churches. Let's stand and respond to God's word together.
receive the blessing that our generous God gave us in Jesus Christ. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine in us so that his ways may be known on earth and his salvation among all the nations. And the church says, thanks for coming, church. We love you. You are sent.